You are listening to Black, Brown, Gold, presented by the Black and Asian Alliance Network. In these conversations, we seek intersectionality, understanding, and a good time as we wade through discussions on Black and Asian mixed identity. For more information about the Black and Asian Alliance Network, hit up banorg.org. That's B-A-A-N-O-R-G.org. Here we are. My name is Jonathan, AKA Blasian FMA. My pronouns are he, him, his, and a random fact about, oh, I'm in New York City right now, specifically Brooklyn. And a random fact about me, I made a pulled pork sandwich for lunch, except it was a pork chop and I chopped it up and then put the meat into a bowl and put barbecue sauce on it. So I don't know if that really qualifies as pulled pork, but that's what I did. Unless you pull that pork chop up like this, I don't think you call it a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> so is that what it is? It's like you have to pull, like what is, is it the process or what is it? Why is yeah, it called pulled like, pork? Usually it's like a big brisket and then they just take like a fork and they kind of like scrape it to shreds. Like scrape this, you know, like you go against the, or go with the grain, you can scrape it to like be shreddy. Why don't you introduce yourself to the peoples? Yes, my name is Megan Thomas, known on the interwebs as Meg Scoop. Um, I, my pronouns are her, she, her and she. Is that it? I'm a, I only get two. Her, she. Her, she, she, her. Her, she, chocolate. Um, <laughs> and one interesting fact about myself, let's see. I used to try to make my own deodorant, my natural deodorant. I was very successful. And then one day... I was getting a smoothie and this really cute guy was behind me and he was walking up to me and I was like, oh, here we go. And he was like, uh, your deodorant's running down the back of your arm here. And he gave me a napkin. Whoa. So what ingredient was missing from the deodorant that really prevented that from happening? Also, like, how do you even make your own deodorant? Ah, that's what I said. That's what I was doing. I was learning on the internet. I was like, how do I make my own natural deodorant that's like healthy for me, but it will still work? Needless to say, I wasn't successful. So don't ask me because I clearly it didn't work. <laughs> I just got to improve the process, right? Wow. Wow. All right. It's on you. Okay. Uh, Ryan Alexander Holmes. On the interwebs, I'm known as I'm known as Ryan Alex H. Uh, he, him, his, yeah. Um, fun fact. Oh, I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, fun fact. I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> There's so many questions that I have. That's it. That's it. I was a Boy Scout. I was a Boy Scout for like ten years. 10 Wait, years. were you like you made it all the way to like Eagle Scout? No, but I wanted to lie when you just asked me that question. I wanted to lie. But no, I made it to Life Scout, which sounds more impressive than Eagle Scout. So I just tell people, it no, does. I, wasn't, I wasn't an Eagle Scout. I was a Life Scout. Life Scout sounds like, I don't know how many people like play RPGs or anything, but Life Scout sounds like you chose to advance the more healing aspects and like the different medical field type things instead of Eagle Scout, which is more like the brute force. I don't, I have woodsy. no idea it how this works. sounds very woodsy. I will right. tell you, but like Life Scout is literally like the badge that you get right before you get Eagle Scout. That's all it is. That's all it is. Wow. I did Girl Scouts too. I'm with you. I didn't do it for that long, but I did it. Yeah, I did no scouts. I was in, I was Bible Scout. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole take, different take on the Boy Scouts now, but I'm glad I did it when I did it. As does most of the world. 
So why are we coming together to do this? Obviously, um, you clicked on the title. You probably read the description. You probably Googled something like Blasian podcast. Well, it's it's kind of safe to say that you've come to the right place. We're making space for these conversations that we as biracial, black, Asian, mixed people um, have in our lives. In in each of our works on social media for either years or even recently, um, all of us have done, I guess I would say activism for awareness of black, Asian mixed people. And the fun fact here is that none of us um, are like the same mix, I guess you would say. I'm black and Filipino. Meg, you are black and Korean. Yep. And Ryan is a black and Chinese. Yes, I am. So it seems like we are going to have some really neat conversations. Let's get into the first topic. The overarching topic is going to be more black or more Asian. Hence the title black or Asian or black or yellow, I should say. How do others perceive you? Open floor. Um, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. I feel and I probably am perceived more black than I am Asian. I was well, probably definitely in Korea. I'm I'm definitely more black than I am Korean. So you grew up in Korea, right? No, no, I was born there um, on an army base. I lived there for two years and then I went back to visit when I was seven, but I haven't been back. But anybody who is not like completely 100% Korean is considered the other. So like in Korea, definitely with the one drop rule, which would apply because they do apply it there. I would definitely be black there. In this country, I feel like white people look at me like I'm black. Um... Asian people look at me like I'm black. Black people look at me like I'm mixed. That's basically it for me, too. Black people will always look at me and be like, you are mixed with something. Are you Latino? Um, I moved to New York and people are like, you must be Dominican. Ryan, I know you have similar uh, experiences with the Puerto Ricans. Yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. (laughs) I'm Samoan. So, hey. How how does everybody know about Samoa? Like... (laughs) Everybody's like, you must be Samoan. So does anyone ever guess what you are? Because no one ever guesses what I am. You know what? The only people that have ever guessed right are in either like New York or California. Really? Yeah. So people have guessed right. Yeah. But who but who are they? Like what demographic of people get it right? Black. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, like black people, you know, historically are used to being mixed with something, whether it's white because of slavery or whatever. So black people tend to be a little more forgiving and a little more understanding when it comes to different races mixed with black. Other people, not so much. And the, and the good thing about like that I have come to find about the black community is for the most part, and we'll get into it later, but for the most part, they they welcome you in because like you mentioned, there is the one drop rule, right? That always made people black as a negative in society back then. But at the same time, it's like you feel a sense of you feel accepted, especially if you are accepting of yourself. We know that there are people out there who kind of have identity crises and don't accept their blackness or act like it's not a big part of their life when they look like us. And it's like, boo-boo, you are also black. I think also there are, there are Blasians. One just DM me today. She's half black, half Asian, part white, but no one thinks that no black people see her as black. You know? So she's like, I had this opposite experience as you, Ryan, because I wasn't accepted as black 
but but she also wasn't accepted as Asian because she's black too. Like she's a Asian looking darker skinned woman, you know? So that's a whole nother realm of experience that I don't have, but we're both Blasian. That's interesting. And like in a lot of my talks with the Blasian folks on the internet, historically, they have looked more black, but we know that there are Blasians that exist that look like straight up Asian. Like you'll look at these people and they quote, look, because I, I want to like put the caveat in there that like, I'm speaking in terms of trying to be as inclusive of everybody. And that's why I'm even bringing this part up. But like, there are people who quote, look Asian, and then there'll be black people that are like, what? Like, no, as even though I just said, like, they're accepting if you, I think, look the parts are like, I look black, then I'm expected to fall into the fold of accepting and feeling accepted and loving the blackness. There are Asian people, Blasian people who don't really phenotypically show the black features. It's not their choice, like, right. But even I have looked and I'm like, Hmm, this is interesting because like how much, like, I guess you have the full right to completely claim your identity, but it feels like there's also we live through certain experiences because of how we present. And I think this goes into yeah. like passing privilege and things, even is if we talk about like black, white mixed people, right. They could be like, Oh yeah, I'm mixed with black, but if they fully present as a white person, then they navigate the world free, not free of, but able to kind of dodge a lot of anti-blackness. So I, I feel gonna, like, go ahead. I was going to, no, I was going to like agree with you on that. Cause actually today I was looking at this black Republican and he was talking, or I, I realized his wife is white. His daughter, are mixed, but they present very white because they're so fair skinned. They have like green eyes. They have straight hair. One of them has curly hair, but it's blonde. So both of them don't, you know, just looking at them, they look like straight white girls. So I know their experience wouldn't be the same as somebody who is mixed like me because I'm darker than them. And I present a little black. My nose is a little whiter. It's not, you know what I mean? So like, just even with that, you know, how you're perceived and how you perceive the world kind of go hand in hand because they influence each other. Honestly, like think about it. Well, that goes right into our next subtopic, which is look versus feel. I mean, I feel like we're we're already in it. So yeah, I thank you for that affirmation and how I was feeling and how I was like tripping up, Meg. Um, yeah, like looking at these black these blasians that present asian i don't like gatekeeping but i would hope that if they are wanting to quote get in touch with their black side then they remember or at least know or find out that there there's such a thing as passing privilege yeah. and that you know okay Let's introduce you to, you know, your rightful heritage and the culture therein and also the these dynamics at play. I want to wait. I was going to ask you, Ryan, because you didn't really yeah. tell your experience. Oh, about about which? like about how you have presented or how you felt like. Oh, the way I feel received. about it is is I gave other people's opinions about how I look so much so much weight in my life. And now I'm not, you know, it, it conditioned me to think that the idea of me not looking Asian is real, but it's not. What's real is a lack of diversity that of what it means to be Asian because of the lack of representation. You know, I'm not going to get very deep into the Blasian versus Asian, white and Asians, but you already see it. 
and you've been seeing it. You've seen the acceptance. You've seen the representation that white Asians get as opposed to black Asians. Black Asians have been relegated to blackness. They've never been truly accepted until kind of recently, like literally like this past year with Naomi Osaka and Janae Aiko. But even Janae Aiko's career for so long was not being accepted, just being a part of the black community. I don't want to speak for her, but that's what I witnessed because that was my experience for so long as well. Wait, so hold on. Is that so I have to ask you this because this is interesting that you bring this up. So for white Asians Mm -hmm. that present Asian, meaning they look very Asian, their eyes might be a little rounder, but they definitely look like they're straight Asian. Is that any different from them being Asian passing as opposed to you who looks who people would say looks more black as opposed to Asian and now you're black passing? So you're talking about. You're talking about a a white Asian that passes as Asian and then me, a black Asian that passes as black or presents as black or people see as black. Yeah. Is that you're saying, is that different? Is that any different? I think it's what, well, we have to consider what context we mean when we say, is it different, right? Who is the demographic that's not accepting you? Right. And, and then we'd have to get into the grander scheme of what does it mean to be black and what does it mean to be Asian? You know, what does it mean to be a, what does it mean to be black when you're also Asian? Right. And what does it mean to be Asian when you're also white? Those are two completely different experiences. Absolutely. You know, because I think the world sees blackness in a certain way and they don't, they, they don't want to be around it. (laughs) They don't want to accept it. Just blackness, period. Even black people sometimes, you know, so that's the experience from which I'm speaking of of having grown up in an Asian community where I was always otherized and I could always feel that sense of, oh, you don't belong here, you know? So my my com- combatant uh, nature towards like, oh, you don't look Asian has always been, oh, you don't look Asian, therefore you are not Asian, therefore you do not fit with us, you yeah. know? So I, I don't believe in that. When you say I don't look Asian, I know what you really mean. And also, when you say I don't look Asian, you're wrong because and when you say when you say we don't look Asian, you know, the Blasians that are black and Asian, you're wrong because we literally are Asian and it's in our DNA. You just have not seen enough of us. You can't make that decision for us. We do look Asian. You just have never seen Asians like us before. The interesting thing there is going to what Meg said earlier about like New York or San Francisco, or I think East Coast and West Coast, whatever you said, Meg, about like the people that are able to recognize it in you. And then I ask what demographic I have like Filipino people can recognize that I'm Filipino. Like if anybody's ever going to guess Filipino of all things, not Dominican, not Puerto Rican, it's going to be Filipino people. I'm not saying all Filipino people will get it, but Filipino people recognize the Philippine and they'll always be like, oh, yes, it's like right here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I but, um, we all look like the native Filipino people. <laughs> I talked to yeah. my, I talked to my one of my really good friends who I'm, I'm writing a show with and he was talking about the history that he learned of his own people that he had to go outside of the school system to learn and how when they first colonized the Philippines, they drew characters that looked like the minstrel show characters that, that uh, were, were shown as black people in America, the same characters. And then you look at the ancient, or you look at the pictures, uh, documented pictures um, of these native Filipinos 
and they look like, you know, Aboriginal um, Australians. I think you're referring to the Ida people. And yeah, yeah, I mean, they're like straight up black folks. Yeah. But like, if you want to talk about black Asians, they are literal Literally. black Asians. Yep. <laughs> they, they, they actually look like full black people that you would see in America. Yeah. Except they are the indigenous people of the Philippines. Yes. That's how that works. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing. And like they have their own struggles and there's a whole layer of anti-blackness in the Philippines that comes with that. And we are back. So Ryan, I want to jump right back into it, especially with our next topic. You were spitting a lot of truth. We got to get into this because um, I think you mentioned something about it. And the, the subtopic for this se segment is accusations of running away from blackness or running away from Asianness, like depending on how you present. Though I will be transparent and upfront. I have not seen like Blasians that present more Asian being accused of not wanting to be Asian by running or leaning more into their blackness. I think, like you said, there is a universal or at least a global sentiment of anti-blackness that sometimes we ourselves harbor, and we'll get into that in a second. But um, have any of you, either of you, been accused of, quote, not wanting to be black or running away from blackness simply because you identify as a Blasian? Yes, both, <clears throat> from both people. Um, also, just I think the demographic that I grew up with was, you know, 0.0.0.0001% black. I was the only black kid. And so there were times when I would look in the mirror as a kid and and I don't think it I don't think I had the conceptual understanding to say I didn't want to be black yet. I just would look in the mirror and wonder why I didn't look like everybody else and I wanted a narrow nose and I wanted smaller lips. And I, I think I was, a, I'm already light skinned. So I don't think the skin color thing was, was that apparent to me, but looking back in hindsight, I'm like, oh no, I wanted to be like, I wanted to be white or I wanted to present as Asian because I wanted to be like the mainstream because I also, you know, all the things that I watched on TV were also Asian and white because that was my demographic that I was surrounded by. That's what they liked to do, you know? And, and also as I grew older, they started to they started to understand what blackness was in their mind, right? From what they saw on TV, the negative images, the stereotypes, and they started telling me I needed to act like that. And so that started to to make me feel like, well, I guess I'm black and not Asian. So I need to act as black as I possibly can. And their advice was to, you know, wear baggy clothes and to not skateboard and not wear skateboard clothes and, and to play basketball and football, you know. Uh, then I started being accepted by the black community, but not really because they're like, you seem like a poser, you know? So that, that whole, I say all this to say that crescendo of like trying to find out what my identity was through stereotypes created these accusations because it wasn't from a human standpoint. It was all stereotypes in the beginning, at least. Yeah. And then as I got older, and I started to really read the true history and started to be around the black community, actual black community through a track club I was on and to have black mentors and uh, coupled with my, you know, my father who was black and him telling me the real history and me having context with the community. I started to understand who black people were and who I was as a black person. Right. And, and 
being super involved in the Chinese community through Kung Fu and, and celebrating holidays with my Chinese family, I'm like, okay, I am Chinese. It doesn't matter what these other people think outside of my community and the people who love me. This is who I am. Yeah. So that's how I over, overcame those accusations. I'm interested to know what y'all's parents told you about who you were. Well, for me, you know, as I listen to Ryan say all that, and I'm, I'm, and this is responding to your question, Meg, like, I don't think that they ever told me that I was one or the other, but I, for the very, like the formative years of my life, like from zero to nine, I lived in a very Filipino household. I lived in Southern California, which was largely Mexican and Asian, like the area that I lived in, um, Chula Vista, California, maybe like three to five white students, and then maybe like two black students. The, The first time that anybody asked me like, what are you? It was black girls because they saw the mixedness I think. And they also saw the classmates and how they looked and presented as monoracial, whatever, Asian or whatever, Filipino, Chinese. And I think they saw me not as Mexican or Asian or black. And so it was really them that asked me first. And I remember saying like, they, they asked, are you, they didn't ask, what are you? They said, are you black? And I remember, I remember like, this is when I was nine years old, no, eight or seven years old. And I remember it very vividly. I was like, we were on our way to school in the morning and I was bending down to tie my shoe. And I was like, no, I'm brown or tan. (laughs) And uh, looking back, that's like, that's cringe. But also like, that's, I did. I don't think I understood the question of like what blackness was and how could I be expected to understand it? When I moved in with my dad, he very, he had his own ways of trying to get me to understand blackness. And the first thing that he did was make me watch the color purple. I don't know if that, that was the worst. Oh my god, that's that's like trauma. We're gonna say roots. I was like, yeah, yeah. what the color roots. purple? Not the, the color, color purple. purple. The Steven oh Spielberg directed no. Whoopi Goldberg, Danny Glover, With and all you know, types of like abuse. Abuse. <laughs> you needed to watch Roots, right? I mean, that's, that's also. Roots. I mean, that's a real like. So. <laughs> Like, even then, I still had, like, it wasn't, I, you know, he was doing his best. Right, He's, right. You know, so whatever. And it wasn't until I went, like, to college and I went to an HBCU that, like, a lot of things, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, a lot of things that I had built up in my mind about Black people were dispelled completely. And I started learning about my history as a Black person and the importance of being a Black person in America. and and appreciating and loving myself. And that at that point, after a whole lifetime of at that time, what, 18, 19 years of not really knowing or caring and being like, I don't see color, that wonderful 90s expression of like, oh, we're all colorblind. Then I started understanding like, no, we're all different. And that's important to highlight the differences. And I just happen to be made up of more than one thing. And I'm going to let people know that. Yeah. So that's like the origin story for me and blackness. And so to answer your question, yeah, parents didn't tell me. Sometimes they try. Well, my dad tried. Um, My mom didn't like they didn't need to tell me that I was Asian because we just lived in an Asian household, which included 
all sorts of Asian household things that you would think of, whether it's something as simple as having a rice cooker on the stove and eating rice every day, taking off your shoes, um, which I don't think is exclusively Asian. But Meg, I'm, I'm curious to know the answer to your question to you. Well, so, and and this is like really cool that I'm hearing this because you guys grew up in California where it's a lot more mixed. I grew up in an army household, um, you know, army bases. So it was always mixed, but like my father's from the South. He's a Southern black man. Um, I grew up in the house with him and my mom. She's very much, you know, Korean, a Korean woman, but they had the race talk with me very early on because that's something that my dad lived through like every day of his life. So I think he felt like he was doing me an injustice if I walked around the world, not knowing that people would perceive me as black. And so he and my mother had a conversation with me when I was about five years old on like, Hey, you're actually black. And I remember going, no, like I'm brown. First of all, I know my colors. Um, number one, number two, your mom is Korean. You're, you're brown, you're dark brown, but like, I don't understand. How can I just say that I'm a black person if I'm mixed with two different things? Like I I had that understanding and, and him and my mother who was Korean, both were like, no, you say you're black. You have to say that. And I just never understood until I got older. And when people started treating me a certain way, then it hit me because again, in this country, most people are going to look at me like I'm black. And they're going and there's a whole level of racism that comes with it. We were talking about it before being white and Asian versus black and Asian, white and Asian don't have to deal with the same amount of racism that black and Asian does. And so I'm so grateful that they set me up for that and they helped me understand that because it wasn't a surprise to me the first time a white person accused me of like, like you know, just discriminated against me for no reason. Like it didn't surprise me because I understood how I was perceived. And I think if I had like walked around the world, like, Hey, I'm Asian. Why are you treating me like this? Oh no. I I would have had like a whole identity crisis. Right. But it's like, because I, I, cause we know what I am. Like my parents know what I am. I know what I am, but the world knows me differently. And so they, they made sure I understood that. And I walked around understanding that so that I was never in a weird place when it came to like, why are people talking to me like that? Or why do they, you know, why, why are they mean? (laughs) Why do they say things like that? I was very aware of that from an early age, even though I didn't think racism really existed until of course I got to college and had my own awakening. But, um, but I was under, I was very aware that like, if, if somebody talks to me that way, I know what discrimination looks like and I know why they're discriminating against me. And I, I think that there's a difference because I feel like I, I, I we're real, we're family here. So Ryan, I feel like you're going to have a, a, a certain take in response, but I wanted to jump in real fast. I think we all understand that there's a difference between your parents sitting you down and saying you're black and following up by saying like, because this is how the world is going to perceive you, be prepared to deal with this, this, and this, and us knowing that we are quote more than black, right? And it's when we start talking about the being more than black that suddenly there become these accusations of like, oh, Blasians just wake up in the middle of the night and scream, I'm Blasian and then go back to sleep. <laughs> like these are the tweets that you see. If you search hashtag Blasian, it's always hella people making fun of Blasians for talking about the fact that they're Blasian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do that. Uh, I've gotten that on, on, in, in, on social media a lot where it's like, oh my God, another Blasian. 
talking about how he's Blasian and like it thinks it's cute. And I'm like, what? I'm, I'm just telling you what I am. Like, why are you so pressed about it? You know what I mean? And it's usually, honestly, yeah. it's usually from black people that say that. It is, yeah. And I'm like, where is that coming from? I've had the and same I, thing happen before. Yeah. I know, I know where it's coming from. Well, but because it's, it's, a, it's a separator. It's just, right? Like, yeah. instead of us being united in the struggle of blackness, it's like, oh, now you want to separate yourself outside of this, but you're going to get this same racism, boo. So why are you trying to separate yourself? But, and it's like, we know we're going to get the yes. same racism. Like right? We don't know that. It's like, they think we're just running away from right. our blackness when it's like, no, I'm, I am showing the world that I am both. That's the part that yeah. blows my mind because the the, the term is Blasian, so it's black and Asian. Yeah, it includes the black. Yeah, what what part of that? Now, to I, I'm not even playing devil's advocate because the devil has enough advocates. But I will say from my own experience, I have seen folks who engage in internalized racism that are Blasians, right? Yeah. I've actually gotten into fights with other Blasians on social media. Various, I didn't know we were gonna go into this, but I'll, I'll bring it up as an example. Uh, in 2020, when all of the stuff was going on, actually, and it wouldn't even matter what, what time it was, but I saw a black woman on Twitter say, black people should spend their black dollars at black businesses and get their hair care from black people. I agree with that. 100% I agree with that. If anybody has ever heard me talk about that, they know that I say there are Asian businesses and, you know, the Asian community rallies around. There are Jewish businesses and the Jewish, you know, we talk about how the black, uh, the uh, dollars of those ethnicities circle in those communities, maybe uh, 12 times before exiting the community. I want the same for black people because I see my people struggling and I see black owned businesses and I see that the entire community is not rallying around them. And I want that to happen. So I agreed with that black woman who tweeted that black people should get their hair care from black uh, businesses. So then a Blasian person was like, this is racist. And the fight <laughs> ensued from there. And I was like, honey, some of us are lost. And, and it's because of that, that we do have people that are like, Blasians are lost. And look, here's an example of a trash Blasian being racist against black people by saying that black people should shop at black owned businesses. And this is anecdotal, this is one time, but it was a big fight for me. They don't understand the bigger picture. They don't understand economically how disadvantaged black people are. That's the problem right there. You know? But but there's also like a sentiment of like that that's just one, but like also you'll look and people like they will use blasianness and mixedness as a way to try to one up people. Like they're not all activists. They're not all gathering to have podcasts and talk about the struggle of being a biracial mixed people. Sometimes they're just like, I got that good hair. The rest of you peasants can suffer. Like stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. That's ugly. I remember one time I was like commenting, I think I was on Twitter and this girl, she followed me. She's black and she um I don't know what I said, but I love the fact that I can hop the line, right? I can talk about being Asian just as fluidly as I can talk about being black. And I'm very comfortable in both at this stage in my life. And like, I'd be like, oh, like, and, and, I, and I do it when it's convenient. If I'm like, oh, I ain't Asian today because of what they did, what them Asians did, or I'm not black today, I'm on the Asian side. Like I can, <laughs> I get that. That is my birthright privilege. So I'm gonna yeah. hop that line as often as I want to. Yeah. Um, but like, I just thought it was really funny because on one day that I I was claiming to be very Asian by doing something very Korean. She was just like, why do you even have to bring that up? 
And I want to be like, you have you not noticed? Girl, goodbye. <laughs> just like and block. I, just you don't I, uh, even like I can't deal with it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I, I'm equally both. So I'm not going to, I can yes. be fully one or fully the other or half of each on whatever given day. That is my choice. Mm-hmm. And nobody, black or other, is gonna bully me out of that because that's what God gave me. So that's what I'm gonna be. You said, This is my story. This is my song. <laughs> Um, I totally agree with that. They're, they like, there's a, what I was going to say is like those Blasians could have been us. You know what I mean? We just at a certain period of time, absolutely like took a different road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I understand why they're saying that. Like, like, cause I felt otherized by black people. I felt otherized by Asian people. I felt like I needed to pick a side. Yeah. And I think like, it's very easy to pick a side. And like yeah. forget about that whole other side. I also want to add that there are Blasians who lean fully into blackness because they don't have a connection to their Asian side. And they maybe they might express a little sadness or maybe they express no sadness at all. Like they just they are 100 percent black and they will present it and they will say it. they're like, I don't even I'm not, I have no connection to my Asian side because of the anti-blackness, you know, that separates me from that. And so I'm not interested in pursuing that. And I respect that. So, you know, and I'm like, I have to laugh at this because like, I grew up with a lot of Blasians in the, you know, but just because of military life. Mm -hmm. And it was always so interesting for me to see how each one of them and, and a lot of them were Korean and black, just like me, but it was so interesting that all of us had a different experience based on kind of how we were raised. Like one of my really good friends, she used to be my roommate. She, you know, she's Korean and black, but her father wasn't really in her life that much. So she grew up in a very Korean household. Her mom had a Korean restaurant, you know, she straightened her hair all the time. You know, she looked very, you know, she was very fair skinned. She looked Asian. She had, you know, a few black features, like enough to be like, She's not fully Asian, but not enough to be like, oh, she's definitely 100 percent black. Mm -hmm. So like it was so interesting to me to see how like we viewed the world. We Mm -hmm. ran the streets of Atlanta together. The type that, you know, the man choices that we made were very indicative of like how we grew up. I dated mostly black men, um, even though I know my Korean. I just I never wanted to date an Asian man because I felt like they all like my uncle. So I was just like, I can't date you. But that's weird because I have black uncles. So why would I not say the same thing about black yeah. men? Right. But but it was just always like it. And, and like for her, she always dated, dated mixed guys or really light skinned, fair skinned, you know. And I was just like, that's really awkward that we're like this different. Um, but it was also how we were raised. Like I said, I was, you know, raised with a very strong black man. She didn't have her father in her life. And her mom was actually very anti-black. Her mom actually, I remember one day her mom told both of us to like, don't date a, don't date black. She was like, date, find you a white man. I was like, you have two black daughters, man. <laughs> like speaking to you, <laughs> not even an Asian man. Like, all white man. Wow. Right. I was like, you know, your daughters are half black, right? Like, so yeah, I was just like, okay, well that tells you a lot about how she was raised and why she wanted her hair straight and why like she went to Korea and lived there for, you know, two, three years. Um, and then I think when she came, came, because she felt more Korean, when she went to Korea, she found out she wasn't Korean. She found out she was black. <laughs> That's where she got her blackness ah. from because she went there and they were like, no, ma'am, you're not Korean like us. You know, she tried to fit in. And even though she spoke the language and everything, it was kind of like, 
Like, you're cool, but you're still like black. And so she came back here. Y'all, she married like the blackest, chocolatiest man I've ever seen. I was like, and I always make fun of her for it. Cause I'm like, look, look. Yeah. You should never date these kind of dudes. Yes. Oh my God. You embraced your other side. I can totally relate to going to China and living there and thinking like, it was going to be like this magical experience where they're going to roll out a red carpet as soon as I landed on the tarmac and that they'd be like, our long lost Chinese brother has finally returned to the homeland. And it was just like, no one saw me as Chinese. And, and I had like, I had a handful of racist experiences too, you know? So I was like, oh, y'all really don't accept me. Like y'all really don't see me as Chinese at all. I- Next topic up for discussion, because I won't say debate, I feel like we've been very much on the same side uh, this whole time, is code switching. And this is a very interesting one because like, we know, like I feel like whoever comes to listen to this and has listened to this this long, like this far into the show, then they probably know what code switching is. But just in case you don't know, like a very bare bones, like I'm not going to give you dictionary. It's just being able to switch it up, quote unquote, so that a certain demographic understands or that you can identify with a certain demographic more comfortably or uh, or more. Right. So since we're talking about blackness and Asianness, this ought to be an interesting uh, uh, segment. Meg, I feel like you want to talk about code switching. What is your experience with code switching between black and Korean um, identity? really have it as much on the black side when it comes to the Asian. Oh, I will say this. I'll say this. When, when I would go to sleepovers with my black friends and they would be talking about how they got their mom had to get them a perm and like, you know, they hated getting spending seven hours getting braids put in. I would just sit there. I learned that I just needed to sit there and be quiet <laughs> because I think one time I, I said something, I was like, yeah, I don't have to get perms. And like my friends looked at me like, Biatch, if you don't shut your mouth, like this ain't your struggle, right? <laughs> like, and that was something I had to learn because it wasn't my struggle. I didn't, I didn't have to deal with with getting a perm or sitting, you know, my mom doing my hair, braiding it up, taking hours and hours. So in, in times like that, I learned I just had to listen, right? Like I had to listen to other people's experience. This wasn't a time that I needed to be like, yeah, me too. No. And so then I, I think on my my Asian side, when it comes to code switching, I don't know that I necessarily did as much. I don't, I don't know if I do. Even now, I'm like, I'm trying to think of examples because my Korean family has always been accepting of of my black side. Like my dad is a part of the family. He's, they've never treated us different because of, of the blackness, right? We've just, we're always the cousins that were mixed with black and that's cool. And that's fine. Um, I think other people, I, I actually like when I'm around other Korean people who don't know that I'm half Korean and I can understand Korean or I can read and write it. And then like, it, they're like, Oh, Oh, like when they find out that they've been speaking Korean and I know what they're saying, or I'll, I'll read a Korean menu in Korean and they'll be like, <gasps> like that. I think they're like going in their head. Like, did I say anything that's that I can, did I say anything that's offensive? Absolutely. I, I, I feel like I code switch still to this day. I think it was very pronounced 
when I was a kid because, you know, going to like the black barbershops for the first time, right? Like finally figuring out how to, what to do with my hair and then seeing how different these black people in this barbershop were from me, right? Like having to <clears throat> deepen my voice and, you know, <laughs> talk, you know, a little bit like this so that they wouldn't make fun of me. Cause I had instances where I was made fun of and called white and, and, and used like vernacular, like rad and hot. And they're like, why the hell do you sound like that? Why are you using those words? You know? So for me early on, I felt like I code switched a lot. So sort of fit in with black people, um, with Asian people, the code switching wasn't necessary. I mean, it was part language, but a lot of it was just like, since I grew up being like chased out of Chinese grocery stores and trinket stores, it was to prove to these Chinese people that I wasn't a criminal. That's what code right. switching was for me as a Blasian in my own community was like to put these Chinese people at ease that were, I felt like were automatically scared of me. Um, and I still live in the Asian community to this day. And I battle with that all the time. I'm like, oh no, that's my conditioning trying to like overcompensate for the racism that I think they might have. Again. Especially now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, Ryan and I, we, we met in real life. And I think when we were walking down the streets of Pasadena, I expressed to you, like, because of everything that's happening with the media pushing the narrative that black people are attacking Asian people. Yeah. I have had to, I've very uncomfortably, but have done it. Like if there's an Asian person coming toward me on the sidewalk, I make sure to let them know, like I'm getting over here. So I'm not going to be in your face, stuff like that. That's just the conditioning of the world. Didn't mean to cut you off. Continue. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I appreciate that. I feel like they, I don't need to do that, but I feel like I have to. Um, and, and that's not on me. It's on them for being, you know, racist. And sometimes I'm putting that on them and I don't even know them, you know, Right. right. Like I'm thinking that they are afraid of me when they might not be at all. Like, I just want to live and walk in the direction I want to go and not have to think about this, you know? So that's, that's how, that's how I see code switching and it can be detrimental to my own understanding of self. If I let it be. I'm glad that the both of you spoke on it first, because it really brought some points to mind for me. We live in a white dominated country, the United States of America, um, and, you know, white supremacy and not, I'm not talking about clans on hoods. I'm talking about working for white corporate America and having to speak in a certain yeah. way. At the same time, I want to, I want to keep at the forefront of our minds, the model and minority myth and how some many Asians aspire to whiteness because of that. So me growing up in an Asian household, I had to, you know, my grammar had to be on point. I had to, you know, spelling had to be 100%, things like this. Like there was a real, because of the push to align with whiteness, I think everyone, because I was around a lot of Asian, but like we all, there was a certain level of or a certain way, an expectation of how to grow up and like how to present, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I gained the skills to work for white corporate America, which I do to this day. And I, I can speak in this way. As mentioned earlier, I went to an HBCU and I learned a lot and I learned about code switching and I learned the vernacular and I learned the words to say. And I learned just like Ryan, you were like, cool, rad. And people were like, why are you, why are you saying that? Like, nobody says that. 
say it's this, say it's that, you know, whatever it is. And I, and I adopted that. And now, you know, I think Meg, Meg, you uh, said earlier, like your birthright, it's my birthright to be able to communicate with my people. So I do that and I switch it up as necessary because when we think about code switching, we're usually thinking about it in terms of, at least as black people, we're usually thinking about it in terms of white corporate America and then being black. Now throw in the Asian layer in there. For me, it's pretty simple actually. And it's probably a little cute or funny or whatever, but um, I always broke my English up so that my Lola would understand my grandma, Filipino grandma, she would understand and it's very interesting because that was, again, the first nine years of my life. When I moved in with my dad, I moved away from my Asian family. And so I wasn't around my grandma anymore. And I kind of forgot. I, I like really forgot about that until I was an adult. And I went back to my Lola and visited her as an adult and was talking to her just like I'm talking to you all now. And then I realized I was like, no shit, like. Um, you have to like break the English up because that's how you talk to her all the time with the English. And it's funny because right before I had that conversation with her, where I realized I needed to break it up, I had seen a casting call by Disney who they were asking, they were specifically looking for a Lola, like a Filipino grandma. And I sent it to my aunt and I was like, get Lola to be at the next Disney star. And my aunt, she, she texted me back. She was like, Lola doesn't speak English. And I was like, yes, yeah, she does. And then I had to think of it. I was like, oh, wait, no, she doesn't. Like my whole life, I've broken the English up for her so that she could understand. So that's the that's how the code switching works for me on the Asian side is like, I can't, I don't even remember how I did. I think like adding ING to a lot of words to kind of, because that's the only way she knew words and like not including certain particles and like phrases like, just so that it was in line with her level of English education. But it was really interesting as, as a final note. Um, I, the last time I went to see her, which was summer 2021, uh, I brought a Filipino friend from LA with me. And it was just amazing to see, he was almost acting like a translator. And I to see my grandma talking to this person about stuff I was saying, but he was translating. She was super lively. And then he'd tell her what she said. And I was like, whoa, this is like, a whole different connection that I've never had talking about adult stuff with my Lola. That's and wait, would you say that's code switching or would you say that's just like, like help interpreting something? That last one, definitely t interpreting, but I guess even the, I guess even the layer that I added on there, it's not, it's not the same level as what I just mentioned about black and white and corporate okay. America. But I get like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right for calling that one out. Um, Cause it's not really code switching, is it? No, no, I, no, I'm not trying. I was just trying to say like what, you know, because maybe maybe there's another level of it that, that you know, you felt like there that was there, you know, like, because my grandpa and he never spoke, well, he didn't speak the best English. Like I couldn't, before he passed away, I couldn't really have a deep, you know, deep in-depth conversation with him because my Korean wasn't the best and his English wasn't the best. But, you know, I'd have to always use my mom to like interpret if I needed to say something long or I needed to use a translator or, you know, I would have to like go write it out in Korean or something. It would, it would be completely like different from what I was trying to say to him versus like what he understood me to say. So like, it wasn't always the easiest thing to, but I didn't think it was code switch. I always thought it was just like, it's just the, the barrier of like, I didn't feel like I had to be different towards him. I just had to explain things differently maybe because so that we could communicate. 
Okay, fair enough. You know, the more I'm thinking about your question, I'm I'm thinking like it's it's almost like a translation, isn't it? Yeah. Like even when we talk about code switching for blackness, it is like a literal translation. But it's not the act of translating. Yeah. It's just like using a different set and of rules. I think rules. There's, a, there's a discomfort so, with um, code switching that, you know, when I think about corporate America, like it's like a mask. You know what I'm saying? When I think about talking to my grandpa, I don't ever feel like I had a mask on. I He just didn't really understand everything I was saying. But when I think about like walking into that corporate job, I had to be like, hello guys. Hey, what's up? Let's get some beers. <laughs> you know, and then I, when I went home, I was like, oh yes, I don't have to talk like that anymore. I can just go be myself, let my hair down. Yeah. But, but this is a very interesting point because it's a mask, right? Yeah. And like, if we're talking about monoracial black people code switching, quote unquote, for white corporate America, then it's monoracial black people putting on a mask to code switch for white people and then being able to take that mask off and then use their own comfortable vernacular for us on here. We're not fully accepted by any side. And so like we have to put on a mask. We have to mask certain parts of when we code switch, we're masking certain parts of ourselves for that other side. It's like, we have multiple faces. That's just what's coming in my mind when you, you, when you you brought that up, like, code switch like that because for me i don't even it's so fluid for me that i don't think of it as code switching because like meg said there's an uncomfortability with that i don't i don't when i start to feel uncomfortable i continue to be who i am and say it the way that i want to like there's a there's a level of professionalism i think that is necessary but i'm still going to use some of the slang i'm still going to be myself completely but that also might be a product of the fact that like I have I live a very multicultural existence. So I'm all I'm a amalgamation of all these different things. Yeah. For me, like between black and Asian, I am unapologetically both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll use words from either one yeah. and I'll do things in front of people on either side for white corporate America. Still, I'm not going to use certain words in front of them. And I am going to talk in a quote, more professional manner for that. I would agree. Um, And I have seen the critiques nowadays. Like I saw a tweet where someone was like, imagine thinking code switching is a cool skill to have or something like that. Like imagine being proud of being able to code switch in 2021. (laughs) I'm like, it's just a byproduct of our lives. Like even if we're just talking about being people of color, nobody would want to do that. Or maybe there are. Varies by what industry you're in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a much more conservative old people like industry. So I have to be like, I can't be like, yes, the food is bussing or whatever the kids are saying now. (laughs) You know what's crazy is because I used to have a job like that. I used to be working at a public accounting firm and it was very much like a white, you know, old white boys club. And so it was was like I had, you know, I didn't want to go get beers after work, but I understood I had to play that game, you know, like... Tell them talking about sports at the meeting every damn day. I'm just like, stop. I just felt (laughs) like because I worked at a financial firm for years. And like for me, I just didn't want to be there or talk to anybody. Like I (laughs) if I could just be quiet and do my job, which was still excruciatingly painful. Right. Like I'd rather do that than someone come up to me and ask me a question about anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair enough. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we have come to the end of this episode. It's, it seems like the time just flew, um, and I'm looking forward to more conversations in the future with you all. Yeah. Uh, so for our closing statement this time, um, assuming that it is Blasian folks, and this is by us for us Blasians, um, I'm assuming that there's some Blasian kid out there that Googled Blasian podcast and found this and has listened to all of this. I want us to dedicate our closing remarks to them. Mm. taking into consideration everything we've talked about today. So Meg, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your um, advice to young Blasians? And I'll say young in the sense of no matter how old you are, like coming into and owning your blackness and your Asianness. Um, I would say you are enough. Uh, you are enough and you're blessed to be able to be to have one foot in either world, which also means you get the birthright to have one foot in one world or another foot in the other world or two feet in each world, however you want to do it. That's your choice. And you get to do that and you own that because you are enough just the way you are, no matter how other people perceive you. Uh, I would say just be yourself. Like if you like you know, things that are considered white or things that are considered Asian or things that are considered black. Just like whatever you like, because like Meg said, you're enough. You don't need to prove to anybody that you're black. You don't need to prove to anybody that you're Asian. You don't need to prove to anybody that you're Blasian. And that goes for like what your proclivities and what your interests are. They don't have to be black interests or Asian interests or Blasian interests. They can just be interests. And, and you can be the Blasian that likes those things. And you can be unique. I would say to any Blasians out there that are struggling through identity crisis or not even struggling, but like are having identity crisis, you know, as as Blasians do. It's already been said, you are enough. And I would also say lean into your histories um, as much as you want to. There are various reasons why people lean this way that way or stand firmly in the middle and declare both sides but it's fully up to you where you want to go and it's fully up to you how you want to express but just arm yourself with the knowledge because the world is going to be out here and the world is going to have opinions so with that I guess that's it. Thank you for joining and thank you. Wait, where can they find you, Jonathan Gibbs? They can find me anywhere on the internet, just Blasian FMA. You know, I prefer Instagram, but I'm on the TikTok and I also like YouTube subscribers. So come on through. Meg, what about you? Uh, hit me up at Meg Scoop everywhere. Yeah, and hit me up at Ryan, Ryan Alex H at Ryan Alex H on Twitter on TikTok, on Instagram. That's all I got. MySpace, all that good stuff. Black Planet? <laughs> Not MySpace. Is there an Asian version of Black Planet? Like, is there? <laughs>